1: 702 The Naked Scientist Hi Chris how are you doing? Good day. I'm I'm very good. How about yourself? Not too bad as ray speaking. I'm in for as of today. So now first question because uh, somebody called George says he wants to stump you. Why is it that we can stare at the sun as it goes down over the horizon but we can't stare at it during midday? What's the difference?
2: The difference is the intensity of the light. When the sun is directly overhead, the distance through the atmosphere between you and the sun is much lower than when the sun is on the distant horizon. When it's coming from the horizon, the light has gone through a much greater distance of atmosphere, and in that way, the light has been attenuated and scattered. And therefore, the amount of radiation hitting you when the sun's on the horizon is much lower than when the sun is directly overhead. And for that reason, you get lower levels of energy input to your eye and that has a lower likelihood of damaging your retina. The sun is still very bright on the horizon and you shouldn't stare at it for long periods of time, but it will certainly be less uncomfortable and less likely to do damage on the horizon than when it's directly
1: overhead. Oh, that's very interesting. All right, let's go to Prince in Bedford View. Hi, Prince, you have a question.
0: Yes, this Have a good day a good day question. Good day to you, Mr. Rewatch. I must say, everybody knows that this is my favorite part of the week. I, I can't wait for Mondays for 2.30. <laughs> because, wow, I, I'm almost addicted uh, to the naked signs. Okay, so this is my, I, I recently have just been, uh, I found this interest, love. I have a dog mm. and i adopted a few dogs. So I've been noticing characteristics about them, noticing features about them. And, and uh, the first one I noticed is there is a dog that is across my street. So each time I go there, this dog starts to bark whenever it sees me. And I know it's got something to do with my dog. But when I bring my dogs to walk them, they don't talk to each other. But whenever I walk past them, even if I'm alone, even if at night it can't see me, when it smells me, it starts to bark until I leave. So I want to know, are they, I'm so, is my dog communicating with that other dog? What could be the scientific <laughs> reason for that? And then, and then secondly, secondly, I've often noticed that when my dog pees, They always pee at vertically positioned objects, so e.g. a tree, e.g. a pole. Even during when I had the Christmas tree inside the house, my dog actually pee by the Christmas tree inside the (laughs) house. They
2: always
0: always pee in in vertically uh, 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 upright standing position. And then let me sneak in the, the, the final one. Why is it that we only have mosquitoes in summer? In winter, where do they go to?
1: All right, some uh, multiple questions there. Thank you, Prince. Prince, um,
2: mosquitoes first. Mosquitoes can survive the winter. They can actually hibernate. So they will find a sheltered area. And because it's cold and their body is at the same temperature as their environment, then as the environmental temperature drops, their metabolic rate drops. So they don't need as much energy in the wintertime. And when it's summertime, they can feast on fruits and other sources of sugar for most of their energy. And if they're a female mosquito, they need extra protein to lay eggs and have baby mosquitoes. So they feast on us and other animals as well. But they can certainly hang out over winter. They will find sheltered areas where it's cool and protected. And their metabolic rate drops and they can survive for very long periods of time under those circumstances next question was dogs peeing and peeing on upright objects like your i'm sorry to hear christmas tree the (laughs) reason dogs do this is because if you choose a tall upright object then a other animals may have chosen it you can mark your territory on top of theirs so yours is the dominant scent it's an obvious thing to target, and that's why the dogs make for it. Number two, if you're picking on something which is higher than the surroundings, it's more likely that the wind will carry your scent from that object to the environment, to roundabouts, and that will tell everybody you're the owner of that patch or you're in the area. So if you're good to mate with or not good to fight with, this is your territory. And the first question, which was concerning dogs' appreciation of us when we're near them, how they detect us, how they smell us. Dogs are very, very tuned into their environment. Their eyesight isn't brilliant. They can see quite well at night, actually, because they have a special structure in their retina called a tapisum lucidum. This is Latin for magic or bright carpet, and it's why dogs' eyes appear to glow in the dark. They've got a reflective coat on the back of the retina that means that they can see much better at night than we can because anything that misses their retina the first time bounces off the back of the eye and onto the retina for a second attempt so their eyes are more sensitive but less acute in terms of vision at night compared to ours now They also, because their vision isn't as strong, have nevertheless excellent other senses. And that's part of the reason why we use them in many different ways and keep them as pets. Their hearing is vastly superior to ours, both in terms of range of frequencies, but also the intensity of those frequencies. And their noses are stupendously powerful. About a third of a dog's brain is devoted just to decoding what it smells. And so, dogs don't live in a world that's visually dominated like we do, they live in a smell dominated world. And they can detect tiny traces of a person or a thing's odour at enormous distances. So putting all those things together, I'd say the dog over the road, it knows probably you by the way you walk, by your smell, the sounds you make, and it knows that you don't live there. It knows you might be therefore coming across the road to invade its territory, so it alerts and barks. And our dog does the same thing and for some reason it's a very discriminatory dog. It doesn't it doesn't like men. It, it doesn't mind women but it always barks at blokes. I don't know why. It doesn't like other men. Um and so That is so strange. <laughs> it's very strange. Wow. But that's why dog, dogs, dogs mark their territory, they're territorial, and they can detect when there's an incursion into their area that shouldn't be there. And their warning is to bark because then you'll probably go away and they won't have to fight you. If you carried on coming, then you're posing a direct threat to them and, and they might have to take you on. That's, that's the way it works in evolutionary terms, anyway.
1: That's so interesting. I read somewhere, Chris, that with cats, the only time they meow is to humans, they meow to their, to, uh, to their owner. Is that correct? Well
2: cats do make various noises and they they I've certainly heard my cat Uh, we've got a couple of cats and the dog has this new game which is the dog just sits and stares at the cats the cats don't like the dog but the dog finds the cat fascinating and the dog will position itself between the cat and the cat flap so the cat has no route of escape so it has to sit there and just take being stared at and it shows its displeasure by meowing (laughs) making that cat noise (laughs) but one other point that uh, so cats can do that out of displeasure but one other thing that was discovered more recently is researchers in the uk in the last 10 years or so there was one who she noticed that her pet cat used to make a certain kind of sound in the morning when it wanted to get her up and get her out of bed and she thought i'm sure the cat sounds different when it wants me to Mm. feed it in the morning compared to other times of the day so she recorded the sound of the cat analyzed the the waveform of the cat's cries and she found that cats when they want something from a human they they add extra frequencies to their to their meow noises and specifically these are called solicitation calls and if oh, you wow. look at them you will find that there are certain frequencies which are much he- more heavily represented in these solicitation calls that correspond to the same frequencies that babies cry at human babies so in other okay. words cats have evolved to plug into the fact that we have evolved to be very sensitive to certain ranges of frequencies, babies crying, fingernails down a blackboard, sort of screechy frequencies, which are alarm frequencies to us. So in that way, a cat is guaranteeing to get your
1: attention and
2: annoy you enough to feed it. That is so interesting.
1: <laughs> and of course as well, when, you, uh, when you're sleeping at night and if you're living in a townhouse complex and you hear this baby go off and you think it's a baby outside, but it's not it's just a cat. It's that thing.
2: It's plugging into a very primitive part of your brain that has evolved to make sure that you look out for each other and especially look out for babies. And the cats have learned this and evolved this. And because cats have evolved to hang around with humans because we feed them and serve some of the purposes, as they say, you know, cats have servants while dogs have owners. Then the, the cats exploit their owners and they make sure that the owner complies by plugging into that very primitive part of our brain that means that we are powerless to say no.
1: Chatting to the Naked Scientist, O 883 Maybe you have a question. You can also leave a WhatsApp voice note message on
0: 072-702-1702.
1: Hi, this is a
0: question for the Naked Scientist. I wanted to find out why a person's body parts on the left-hand side are bigger. Is there any specific reason?
2: Sure, that's a difficult one, Chris. So The body parts on the left are bigger. Is yeah. that the question? Because I would I would, uh, yeah, I would dispute that and say, well, actually, the liver is your largest internal organ, weighs a kilo or so, kilo and a half. It's pretty big. I don't think you've got another internal organ as big as that. Uh, and that's on the right-hand side. Uh, I think probably the question is more about, well, why are our bodies asymmetrical? Because although it looks like we're symmetrical from the outside, you've got two arms, two legs, two eyes, two nostrils. Everything seems to split down the middle. In fact, if you look inside, you find we're very asymmetrical. We've got certain organs disposed to the right, certain organs disposed to the left in the vast majority of people, but there are some rare individuals where everything's back to front. There are people with dextrocardia and situs inversus when uh, and these are classical in medical exams. You you get the they say go and examine this patient's heart and, and they watch with glee as the student doctor goes and feels on the left hand side of the body trying to find where the heart is and this patient doesn't seem to have a heart and it turns out it's on the wrong side it's it's actually back to front in that patient's on the right hand side but there, there are people who do have organs to one side or the other and we're learning now embryologically how the body puts itself together and works out what's going to be left and what's going to be right but it's not quite true that the organs on one side are bigger than the other i'd say but actually the liver being your biggest internal organ and being on the right
1: would, would uh, counterbalance that theory. All right, okay, here's another one.
2: Hi, this is Ed calling from Cape Town. When watching um, David Attenborough's Life in Colour over the weekend, a question popped into my mind, and it was, why do animals not simply produce green fur in order to camouflage? And about a half an hour later sir david looked at the camera and said
0: animals cannot produce
2: green fur (laughs) so that's all well and good but i would like to know
1: why animals cannot produce green fur because surely out of all of the um, evolutionary adaptations which would be really advantageous to an animal green fur must be
2: pretty high up the list so why can't they do it that's a lovely
1: Thanks. question. Ed from Cape Town. Thank Ed. you, Ed from Cape Town. That's a great question. Well, it's certainly true
2: that some animals can produce green colours, can't they? So it's not a, a specific thing that animals cannot produce green. There are plenty of green snakes. There are plenty of green insects. There are plenty of uh, green chameleons, for example. There are lots of animals that will produce green pigments and green colours. Sometimes that's a structural colour. They do it by building certain structures in their skin that reflect certain wavelengths of light but not others. Other times it's based on making physical chemicals in in the skin. I, I don't know why animals wouldn't necessarily therefore in his mind not be able to make a green colour. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily always be advantageous because remember animals are not always in environments where the trees are always green or the grasses are always green just look at the African seasons there will be a wet season when it's very very green and lush there will be a dry season when it definitely isn't and if you were very green everyone would make a beeline for you because you'd look like lunch so the answer is animals have evolved to have the colour scheme that best protects them and best serves them in the environment in which they spend most of their time and so as a result, they will have evolved to have something that confers upon them the best compromise or the best outcome most of the time. And, and that's why animals that live in snowy parts of the world have white coats and animals that live in dry, dusty parts of the world tend to have brownie coloured coats because that way they're less likely to stand out. And there are other effects superimposed on top. Look at us humans. Look at how different we live and look like based on where we spend most of our time and where we've evolved and and it's the same will be true in the animal world I must admit I haven't seen a green haired animal except one that's been sprayed green for St Patrick's Day yeah. perhaps um, I'll yeah, have to have so. a look I'll have to have a look at why why animals might not be able to make a green colour in hair but it's certainly true that animals can make green pigments which is how they they're able to to have green
1: green things like crickets Jay Patel on Atray White Essay, she tweets to you, so if your dog only barks at men, does that mean that men are dogs? That's a very good
2: point there, very good point there Jay. I, I, I like I'm it. sure not. You're the like. dog doesn't bark at me, but um, he does, does bark at other, other things. It's not all men either. It's really strange. We're trying to work out what the pattern is. We don't know if it's a particular smell or if it's a particular body size or shape. Um, And there are certain dogs that he really likes and there are certain dogs that he doesn't like. He's not very interested in smaller dogs. He's very interested in big dogs. He's a Labrador, black Labrador. Uh, And it's very interesting how he's got certain types of dog that he clearly likes more than others. And and what I find really fascinating is that a dog knows it's a dog at all, in the same way that a bird knows it's a bird and knows other members of its species, including even if it's a cuckoo, and grew up surrounded by birds of the wrong species, yet it still knows it's a cuckoo and can go and find another cuckoo. I I find how animals get their identity of what they are and what another dog is really fascinating. And I don't think anyone Mm. can really explain how that happens
1: yet. Yeah. Right, let's go to Terence in Pretoria. Terence, you want to speak about the size of feet. Go for it.
0: Hi, good afternoon uh, to yourself and the Naked Scientist. So my question goes uh, in relation to every time I purchase shoes, I've come to find that I always need to fit with my left uh, foot as opposed to my right. I find that my left foot is slightly wider than my right. Is that uh, an anomaly or is that something that's normal um, about the human anatomy?
2: It's completely okay. normal. And if you do the experiment on your face, as a good example, because if you ask people to, to draw a face, they usually draw something symmetrical. But you just have to work out and, and show yourself how weird it looks if you are symmetrical about the face, that then, then you, you realise how asymmetrical everybody is. One way to do this is to hold up a mirror to the middle of your face so you get basically a mirror image down the middle of your face and reflect the right hand side into the mirror so you see two right hand sides of your face and you will see that a perfectly symmetrical face does not look right we all have an element of asymmetry about us because there's a degree of randomness as the body is putting itself together and there are different factors that govern how different parts of the tissue grow and, and, and stretch and shift about a bit so although we are broadly symmetrical from afar when you get up close we're not that symmetrical and there are differences
1: jay in pretoria hi
0: uh Uh, a bit of a funny question Mm. i've got a German shepherd male puppy he's about 11 months old i've never seen this before when this dog urinates he stands on all fours he stops and takes a leak now generally a dog would like go to a tree or a wall and lift one of the hind legs and then urinate. Why does my dog do differently? And is this common, or is this just something
1: odd? All right, very good question. That's jane Victoria. Thank you, Jay. We've lost you there. Why is that? I mean, Chris, does a dog have to lift his leg? Is that the thing he does, or she does, or not really?
2: Dogs don't have to lift their legs. They'll lift their legs if there is a tall object that they want to mark a territory against. But they can squat down if they want to. Female dogs squat. All the time, male dogs tend to cock their leg, but not obligatorily. So sometimes they do just sag a bit at the back end and, and wee in a straight line. The danger of doing that is they can wee on their front legs because things come out from a sort of hose pipe under a male dog, don't they? But uh, sometimes sometimes their aim, aim is better than others.
1: Okay, that sort of clears that up. Let's take a WhatsApp voice note. Hey, good afternoon, 702. Wonderful show as per usual.
0: I've got a question for Dr. Chris. I just want to find out, all of my friends, right, It seems that the male, the boys, you always grow taller than your mother. So is it true that if you're a male and you want to have, like, I don't know, tall sons, then you should actually marry a tall girl because your kids will always be taller, your boys will always be taller than the mother. I've never seen a boy shorter than the mother.
2: Uh, There is in uh, humans what we call sexual dimorphism. In other words, that one sex tends to be a different size and shape to the other sex and this is true across the animal world just look at gorillas for example where you have a big male silverback gorilla much much different in terms of body shape and size compared to a female humans exactly the same but it's a continuum there is not just a one size fits all thing here and there are many women who are much taller than many men but on average men tend to be a bit taller than women although not exclusively so so when you have a pairing of a man and a woman unsurprisingly you've got one taller one smaller you then will end up with children that probably will average somewhere between the two and yes children who are the product of taller parents are going to inherit more genes because it's a range of different genes that contribute to our body sizes and shapes that will then mean that the children are on average taller But if you have one very tall dad and one very small mum, then you're more likely to have children, not tiny, but somewhere between the two. So, yes, if you wanted to breed a population Mm. of super tall humans, then the best way to do that would be to have selective pairings between parents who are extremely tall. And that would breed children who were getting taller and taller up to a point. And in fact, in our evolutionary history, humans did go through a phase uh, something like 250,000 years ago or so of being absolutely enormous they would have made these seven-foot-tall basketball players look like dwarfs, some of the humans that were strutting around for a while, and they did it because everybody and everything did it. There was plenty of energy around, plenty of food to eat, you could afford a big body, and if you had a big body, you were more likely for someone else not to have have your body off you and come and mm, eat you. Mm. So everyone okay. got bigger.
1: Interesting. David in Santon. Hi, David.
0: Hi, Chris. Hi, Prof. I love the show, love the segment. Otherwise, I do It's a personal question. Have you ever been completely stumped by a question on radio?
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: many times. Many times.
0: How do you construct these answers from your general body of awesome knowledge?
1: There we go. David and Santon, thank you. you okay. You say you've been stumped, but how do you gather all of this together? I've actually often wondered that as well.
2: Well, I I think science is an amazing thing, and and I think um, talking about it helps you to remember it and learn more, because inevitably... When you have these sorts of conversations like we're all having today, one sort of giant family, all of us chatting together, then we all learn something off each other and people asking questions make you think about things in new ways and they might then stimulate more inquiries in your mind so that you go away and you think, that was a really interesting point that someone brought up today and then you go and read a bit more about it and because you read about it and you were interested in it motivated to find out you remember and slowly sort of the the, corp, the, the kind of corpus of knowledge that we all have among us grows and and i don't think i'm any different
1: yeah well nice one thank you chris our naked scientist good to have you back on 702 we'll chat you in a week
2: i'm looking forward to it bye everybody thinking about your next career move in research and development then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that's investing 20 billion pounds in r&d over the next two years